Well, good morning, Gospel Community Church. How are we today? Oh, come on, come on. I'm going to give you another opportunity here. We had, we had literally just saying our chains are released. We can say that we are free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Gospel Community Church, how are we today? Okay, better, better. Hopefully I don't have to keep spurring you on in that way. But there is reason to celebrate. There is reason for us to have hope this morning. Maybe some of you are dreading the storm that's coming this week. In case you didn't hear, we're getting some kind of big storm Wednesday and Thursday. But you know what? Christ has set us free from our greatest problem. We have reason to celebrate this morning. We have reason to be joyful. No matter what our circumstances say, God is still reigning supremely on the throne. Amen? Amen. So let me invite you now to open up God's word to Acts chapter 12. And let me just ask this question. By a raise of hand, how many of you have seen God move powerfully in your life in the midst of a trial? Raise your hand. Most of us, we've seen God move in that way. Hopefully all of us have seen that. When we faced hopeless situation and God shows up, undoubtedly we've all faced this as well, where we've faced that trial where we think, yeah, God's been faithful all the time leading up to this, but this is going to be the time when God isn't faithful. You ever find yourself in that place? You're wondering, God, where are you? Why, why are you allowing this to happen? We've all faced that. Anyone who's lived long enough has faced things like that before. And the truth is, every trial that we encounter is a temptation for us to be distracted from Christ. Every hard thing that we face is an opportunity for us where we might lose our focus of our Savior. Whether it be something to do with our health, our finances, our relationships. Each and every one of us experiences heartache. And, and I'd be shocked if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, you know what, Ben? I, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> My life has been pretty darn easy. I've had no hard things ever Trusting God has been easy. He's never allowed a trial in my life. And if that's you, I would love to set you up with a counseling appointment with Dave Hills because you're living a disillusioned life. The truth is we all face trials. We all face temptations. But my prayer for us this morning is that we would not let trials distract us from Christ. Don't let trials distract you from Christ. That's our focus this morning. And so let me invite you now to open up, uh, to look at Acts 12 with me, starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and Sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its, of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, 
he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, uh, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have not left us on our own. Lord, what great hope that we find in scriptures, especially when we see your people dealing with trials and struggles and seeing how they lean on you and then watching how you move in such miraculous ways. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us this morning, Father, as all of us here, we're in one of three places, God. All of us are either in the midst of a trial, we've just come out of a trial, or we are about to enter into one. And God, my prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to be ready. Lord, that we would not be distracted from you, but Lord, that our focus and our attention would be on you at all times. Even as we sang this morning of Christ being magnified and Pastor Zach reminding us, Lord, that God, we, we need you to be magnified in every area of our lives. And so, Lord, would you meet with us this morning? Would you give us the gift of illumination, God? Open our eyes to see where we can be readying ourselves for battle. And, God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And so, Lord, encourage us this morning. Convict us this morning. Change us this morning in light of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we have been studying the book of Acts and, and seeing the gospel brought to the Gentiles. If you remember, Peter took the gospel to Cornelius and his family and friends, and many came to Christ. This was the, the first understanding for the Jews that salvation was for all people. And then we also read about the church being planted in Antioch, where Barnabas came, and then he brought Saul and they planted this church. There were some great things happening. But lest we think that it was all a joyful, colorful, all roses, we're reminded here that there were a lot of hard things that the church experienced in those days. It wasn't all easy and great. And the, the fact is the church didn't grow because they were prospering financially. Rather, it was through trials that the gospel advanced. And in our passage today, the trials continue. But the early Christians did not allow these trials to distract them from the one who mattered most. It did not distract them from the mission of advancing the gospel of Christ. And Acts has a few things to tell us about how we can go through trials. And here's the first thing that I want us to be aware of when it comes to trials. We aren't promised a trial-free life. None of us here have been promised a trial-free, easy life. Look again at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was also during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him 
was made to God by the church. And so here we see Herod the king of the Jews breaking out in violence against the church. And unfortunately, James, the, the brother of John, was beheaded for the sake of his gospel work. The scene passes very quickly here. It's literally one verse speaking of it and then moving on to Peter's imprisonment. Perhaps it was just too painful for Luke to recount what had taken place. Now what would lead Herod to do such a terrible thing? And I think it's, it's worth kind of looking at his life real quick. Like where did he come from? What was his situation? What was his upbringing? And his grandfather was Herod the Great. And if you know anything about this guy, he was not so great. He was a, a bad king. In fact, he actually, he actually killed the Herod in our passage's dad. And so he killed his own son, Herod the Great did, because he was afraid of him trying to usurp the throne, trying to take over. And so Herod in our passage today was raised in this kind of violent environment and so that has just passed on from generation to generation and the death of James brought approval to Herod from the people uh, he, the people were loving what he was doing persecuting the church they didn't like the fact uh, that the salvation they were saying was for non-Jews that was very offensive to them and so they were approving of what was going on and people and because of the people loved what Herod did to James, he continued persecuting them. In fact, he wanted to go after the biggest target in the church. And there was nobody that would be more profitable for what he wanted to do than imprisoning Peter. And so he has him arrested. And notice how, how badly he wants to make sure Peter doesn't escape. He's got four squads of soldiers to watch him 24-7. This is... Four sets of four soldiers, 16 soldiers around the clock watching him, making sure that he does not escape because he wants to make sure that the church understands that what they're doing is not acceptable in his eyes. And due to the timing of this, uh, we see uh, he's going to wait until after the Passover before he brings him to trial. And surely we must understand that this is probably going to lead to Peter's death. He's just killed James. Nothing's going to stop him from killing Peter as well. And notice, notice when all this is taking place. It's during the days of unleavened bread. Uh, in our reading through the, the Bible through the year, uh, we've just read recently through Exodus. And if you remember, uh, they told the Israelites to get unleavened bread ready. So unleavened bread is basically, there's no yeast in it. Uh, there was no time for them to have the, the dough rise in order to bake the bread. So there was unleavened bread. And so the reason for having this meal was for it to, re to remember the Passover. And so right after the unleavened bread, at the same time, there's the Passover celebration. Now the Passover, if you remember back in Exodus, is that the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God had already sent nine plagues on the Egyptians and still... Pharaoh hardened his heart, God Pharaoh hardened his heart, and they refused, uh, God hardened uh, Pharaoh's heart, and he refused to let the Israelites go. And so the last plague of all was for the killer angel sent from God to kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian, even their livestock. And so in order for no harm to come on the Israelites, they slaughtered a perfect spotless lamb. And placed the blood on the outside of the doors. And so when the, the angel came to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians, they passed over the house of the Israelites. So this is the celebration. The Jews are celebrating this. And yet, they have completely missed the fact that the Passover was a representation of Christ. And so Herod is here, ready to kill the very one who is carrying the message of our Passover lamb. This has the potential to be very distracting for Christians, doesn't it? And for us, we must understand that we are not guaranteed a trial-free life. Jesus didn't come to offer salvation with the caveat that we can live our best lives now. There were no promises that we would come to him and be guaranteed health, wealth, 
and prosperity as we see here. It's not working that way for the church. And Jesus didn't guarantee that. Which is a common message that you hear a lot of churches, especially on TV. Who want to tell you, hey, come to Jesus and he'll give you everything that you would ever want. And if that is our expectation then it would be no surprise to us that when trials come, we're distracted from Christ. Well, Jesus, where are you? Why are you letting my life be hard here? That's a prosperity mindset. Brothers and sisters, I know the temptation for some of you hearing this may be, Ben, you have no idea what I've been through. You don't know the trials and the struggles that I've gone through. You don't understand. How could you possibly expect me not to be distracted from Christ. And for many of you, it is true that I don't understand what you're going through. I haven't felt the pain that you have faced, but I do know someone who has. In fact, I know someone who has experienced things that we will never experience as believers. In Hebrews 4, we see that Christ was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. And it says that he is able to then, therefore, sympathize us with our weaknesses. And here is the reality. The temptations that Jesus faced are far greater than the ones that we have to face. I mean, think about it. Jesus came to the earth as a perfect baby born. For all of us who were born, we were all born by a mother and a father, earthly, who were sinful, and therefore the sins of our mothers and our fathers were passed down to us. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born sinless, perfect. He lived an absolutely perfect life. Isn't that mind-boggling? No, no anger when somebody cut him off when he was riding his camel? <laughs> no bad words when somebody was treating him poorly, no unrighteous anger. Not one time did Jesus sin while living on this earth. And yet, when it came to the point where he died, he hung on the cross, paying for the price of the sins of every person who would ever believe. And while he was hanging on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him. For the first time in his life, God turned his back on him. And he was completely innocent. How many of you can claim complete innocence here in this world? How many of you can say, I have never done anything wrong. I have never messed up. I, I just, every injustice that happens to me is undeserved because I have lived a spotless life. No one can say that. And yet, Jesus bore the penalty for our sin that we might be made right. So when you find yourself in a trial, in a struggle, in a temptation, we can understand that, first of all, we weren't guaranteed a trial-free life. Second of all, we have a God who loves us so much that he came and experienced the most egregious pain and suffering a human could go through, all for us. So even though nobody here may understand your pain, Jesus understands it all. And when we think about the fact that we weren't guaranteed an easy life, just listen to some of these scriptures and what they say to us. Uh, I don't have these on the screen, but you can mark these down if you want. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to follow Christ, if you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. It may not require your life but it may require rejection from those around you. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So for the sake of Christ, not only do we believe in him, but we also suffer for him. Isn't there suffering when we follow Jesus? I mean, there's suffering socially. I remember in school, uh, listening to some of the things that my fellow classmates got involved in that I didn't get involved in because of Christ in my life. It, it had, there's a sense of feeling left out. There's participation 
of conversations where you just feel completely awkward because the things that they're talking about are completely ungodly at work, in your neighborhoods, at school. I mean, there's a sense that we just feel left out. So even from that standpoint, there's like suffering that happens. And listen, everything that we do as believers goes against the flow of the world. We are guaranteed to suffer. It's promised to us. Jesus himself promised it. In John 16, 33, it says this. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. One reason why we get distracted from Christ in the midst of trials is because we think God should keep us from them. Christian, be encouraged if life is hard. Don't be surprised by trials. They are God-ordained in order to remind us that this world is not our home. And we need to depend on our Savior Trials force us to do that, don't they? They bring us to the end of ourselves and realize, I can't do this on my own. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing I can do to make it through this. That is God's grace. The problem is we get so satisfied with this world that we lose sight of Jesus. And so when trials come, we're all the more distracted. So how can we guard ourselves with trials is remembering that we were never promised a trial-free life to begin with. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We will face trials. There's no question. It's inevitable. But in that, we must remember this. Our greatest weapon in trials is prayer. Our greatest weapon in trials is prayer. James was beheaded. Peter was imprisoned. This could have led the church to give up. With all the other things that they had faced, this could have led them to a place of despair. This could have led them to a place of great anxiety of what do we need to protect ourselves? Let's get out of here. Let's go underground. Let's be silent. Let's give up. Is this really worth it? They could have allowed it to distract them and for them to give up, but that's not what happened. Instead, the church gathered together seeking God in earnest prayer, in fervent prayer, in continual prayer. They prayed without ceasing. So since we know that we will face trials, we need to be ready when they come. And when they come, we need to pray. It seems all too easy, doesn't it? <laughs> seems like such an easy answer. Okay, trials come, we pray. But it doesn't always happen that way. Or at least it doesn't for me. I, I can find myself wallowing in pity I could find myself overwhelmed in anxiety and despair. I could find myself pursuing foolish things to try to get my mind away from what's going on in my life. And then, it, then I come to the point that I realize, man, I have never prayed about this. Or I've shared a burden with a friend, and they ask me, have you prayed about it? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have not prayed about this. You find yourself there? We just, we just forget we just forget that we have a God who wants to listen to us, who, who loves the prayers of his people. We forget that. We've got to train ourselves to run to prayer immediately. This is the sort of thing that kind of reminds me about the military. Has anybody served in the military here? Nobody? So have you ever watched documentaries of what like soldiers go through to get trained up for war. I've watched some of these things, like those who are training for Navy SEALs, and it is intense. I mean, it is crazy, the things that they go through. And I've asked myself, why in the world would anybody want to go through that? And why are they doing this? This feels like torture. But the reason why the training is so intense 
is because they need to be ready when they face the real trials when they're in war. And so they've been trained up under these intense circumstances so that when the hard things come, they know how to prepare. You see, the problem for us, the reason why we get so distracted in trials is because we haven't been preparing ourselves for trials to come. We've acted like God is going to come and make my life easy, and there's a way that that's actually true, but it doesn't mean our circumstances are going to be easy, and so we aren't ready when the battle comes. This is why it's so important for us. Why do we read through the Bible in a year? It's because I need the discipline of being reminded of God's promises. I need the discipline of seeking the Lord in his word, and then I need the discipline to respond back in prayer. I mean, that's one of the greatest tools is open up God's word and then pray through it to remind ourselves of what God's word says and also to remind God of what he says. So the question I have for you is, are you preparing yourselves for battle? When things are calm, when the storms and the seas are calm, Are you pursuing the Lord in those matters? Here's what happens for a lot of people. Sometimes we don't go to God until we're at our wit's end. The the thing is, is we don't only need God when things are hard. We We need God just as much when things are kind of just, we're just coasting through life. And those are the times and the opportunities for us to prepare ourselves for battle. What does Ephesians 6 talk about when it comes to this, the Christian life? It's a battle. We need to put on the armor of God. And one of the best tools that we've been given is prayer. We are at war. But if we spend our time on Netflix, on Amazon, pursuing sports, shopping, looking to buy the newest thing for our house, looking to upgrade our homes, and we get so distracted and we focus on all those things, we won't be ready for battle. Tonight, we are gathering together for corporate prayer. Why? Just for the heck of it? Like, well, let's just have a prayer gathering because we probably should do that. No, because we realize we are in a battle. Do you realize that Satan hates the church? Do we know that? Satan hates what we are doing right now. And he wants to do everything we can to get in the minds of different people here in this church. Oh, man, I can't believe Ben said that. I can't believe so-and-so in my small group thinks that way. How in the world could we do this? Why are, we, why are they doing this? Why are we watching The Chosen? That's such a worldly thing to watch something that is just supposed to be read on God's word. Why, we can find ourselves all over the place. And then we try to bring other people into it. That's how churches are split. And we realize that we are desperate for God to show up. And the elders realize that we are sinful ourselves. We are imperfect leaders of the church. And we are desperate for God to lead us. Are you desperate in your life? Not just when things are hard, but are you desperate at all times? Living in a place of desperation keeps us pursuing the Lord at all times. So when trials come, we're just keep doing what we've been doing. Our greatest weapon in trials is prayer. Look at verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the, land, from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So here's what I want you to see from this. God will deliver us from or through our trials. God will deliver us from 
or through our trials. So it's about time for Peter to be brought out before the people. And chances are, this would be the end of the line for him. Chances are, this is it for Peter. Death seemed, seems inevitable for him here. After all, Herod wants to please the people. Killing James did so. And so it's inevitable. And, and notice, Peter is sleeping. And he's about ready to face trial the next day. I would love to know, man. I wish we had a little bit more information here. Was he sleeping because he was exhausted? Or was he sleeping because he was just resting, trusting that his soul was in the hands of a faithful creator? We don't know that for sure. Regardless, it's sort of a, a humorous thing that takes place here. So this angel shows up in his cell and he kicks him, pokes him. Peter, wake up. And immediately his, the chains on his hands fall off. And I could, I could picture, you ever like wake up in the middle, like, like your kids come in the room or you hear some crazy noise and you're like in, in a panic, you kind of stand up and you're just not sure what to do. You're just kind of sitting there. Uh, I remember like Nikki, uh, she's a wonderful wife, uh, wonderful, but getting up in the morning is sort of like a, it's a kind of a challenge for her a little bit. She's a, anybody relate with her? She's a night person. Um, and so I remember one night in particular, the alarm's going off, and she literally walks up to the alarm. Sorry, I didn't warn you about this before. Um, walks up to the alarm, and, and she literally says to herself, oh, this isn't for me. <laughs> and like goes back to bed. I'm like, push news at least. But we could get ourselves right in, in the midst of being awoken from our slumber. We could find ourselves like uh, kind of dazed and confused. And the, and the angel even has to say, hey, Peter, get dressed. Do you know what's going on here? It's time to go. And so Peter gets dressed and he starts following the angel out and he proceeds to leave him out of the prison. And all the while, he, he thinks this is some kind of vision. He, he doesn't understand that this is really taking place. He is really being delivered here. So eventually, he ends up out of the prison on the street, and that's when he finally realizes this is no vision at all, but that Peter had been rescued from the hands of the soldiers. And he knew that this was absolutely the hand of God, partly because everybody around was cheering on the persecution of these Christians. And so there was no one who would have seen Peter walking out that would have been, okay, that's fine. Like, let him go. No, they would have been fighting for it. If the prisoners were there, they would have making some, somebody would have made some kind of noise. But God miraculously delivered Peter out of prison. And one thing to help us with our trials is knowing and trusting that God will either deliver us from our trials or he will deliver us through them. Now, when we think back to James, we might be tempted to say that and this is an absolute failure, an absolute disaster, a, a travesty. This should have never happened. And this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. There's nothing good about this whatsoever. But do you think James, when he awoke on the other side of heaven, wanted to come back? Do you think for James this was a tragic ending for his life? Or was this the beginning of glory for him? Now, I don't want to make light of our trials. I don't want to make light of the situation to think that, oh, we should just celebrate even when hard things and just be fine with it as if nothing's going on. But we must have an eternal perspective to know that James, was James carried through the trial? Absolutely he was. He was carried into glory. His home was not here. His treasure was not here. He had already given up his life by saying, I'm following Jesus, right? Remember Jesus said, whoever, must, whoever comes after me must die himself Take up his cross and follow me. That's exactly what he did. Jesus carried him to the end. James remained faithful to the gospel to the end. That is God delivering him from trials. Certainly the pain that we feel in them is real. And life can be so hard. But don't lose sight of your eternity. James was ultimately delivered from the pains of this world. Peter was delivered through his trials and was taken out of it, yet he still suffered by imprisonment. 
I mean, if we hold the, the, to the thing that God should never allow us to suffer, that God should have never allowed Peter to be in prison in the first place, to even have the threat of death. And so God allows us to go through these things, yet he remained faithful to Peter through all of this. And, and at the end of Peter's life anyway, what happened? Tradition says that he was hung upside down because he did not feel worthy to die the same way as his Savior. God didn't ultimately spare him from death by crucifixion, but yet, was God not faithful? Did God not carry him through that? All throughout Scripture, we see this understanding, this eternal perspective. Just listen to some of the last words of some of these Christians before they were taken out of this world. Not by their choice. We already read this in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen, when he was being stoned, said, Lord Jesus. Or first he said this, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. These are while stones are being hurled at his face. And he says this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Peter even since his last days. And he wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. This is not someone who's distracted by trials, but knows, even in the midst of the fire, he knows where he's going. Paul said this, or Saul, as we know him in Acts, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. Trials will come, but take heart, knowing your Savior will ultimately deliver you from them. Every single thing that you face, God will deliver you. And take heart in these scriptures. John 10 verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Don't you have great hope in that? I mean, how many of you just feel like some days you're just a wreck? Anybody with me? You can raise your hand. You feel like, man, I thought I had this together. I am so far from that. And then you re, you're reminded that Jesus will not allow us to perish and no one will snatch us out of his hand. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Romans 10 verses 11 through 13. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christian, the Lord will either deliver you from your trials or he's going to deliver you through them. You know, I think, I think one reason why we are distracted during trials is that our mindset my, our mindset, we're not focused on the right thing. We aren't focused on the advancement of the gospel. All these apostles, they were about one thing. What were they being persecuted for? They were being persecuted for advancing the gospel. They were being persecuted. Their whole life was headed in the direction of, I want Christ to be glorified. I want disciples to be made. I want people to worship this Jesus and to know Jesus for who I know him as. And the reason why we get so distracted is because we are living for other things. Yes, most of you have jobs in the secular world. Do you think God put you there so that you could make money, so that you could provide for your family and that's it? Or did God distinctly put you where you are at so that you can share Jesus with those who are desperate to hear the good news? And so when we are all about what God has called us to be, and when trials and sufferings come, we allow it to come and we trust that God is good. 
Because I don't care what happens to me on this earth. Ultimately, I care about glorifying God in everything I do. Isn't that all that matters? See, the mission of our church, making disciples, glorifying God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, is not just something for the church, just something on Sundays. That's life mission, is it not? So one reason why we are distracted is that we just expect God to keep us from trials, but also we're just distracted from the mission in the beginning. We don't really understand what we're here for anyways. And here's the beauty. What, who, who, who are you most drawn to? Are you most drawn to the person who is suffering, but yet there is this faith that clings to Jesus? Or are you more drawn to the person who just has it all? The person who, no real trials that you can see on the outside, they got the nice car, they got the nice house, they got all the toys. Like, who are you most drawn to? I don't know about you, I am most drawn to the person who I see, there just seems to be nothing going right with their life, but there is this unmistakable joy. That is someone who has a heavenly perspective. That is someone who understands this earth has nothing to offer me. Believers in Christ, God will deliver us ultimately from or through our trials. Death is not the end. As believers, we do not need to be scared about death, do we? How many of you just long for Jesus to come back? Or why don't you just take us, like, head-on collision. Everybody in that car, we're all saved, we're all going to heaven, if that's the case. Like, don't you just kind of wish, like, Lord, that would be kind of nice. I'm not wishing that. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. But there are days where I'm just like, Lord, come. Ultimately, we understand where our eternity is. Don't think and believe that God won't deliver you. He will ultimately. It just may not be the way you want it. Look at verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So I imagine as he's out here on the road and he comes to, the first thing he can think about is, I need to go to Mary's house. This is the place of gathering. This is the place where the believers go to pray. Like this is where I need to go. Like surely he has this understanding. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing in the gate. Don't you kind of find that kind of funny? Like Rhoda's excited, it's Peter! Instead of letting him in, she goes, runs inside, and Peter's left out there knocking on the door. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He didn't want to bring any, you can imagine, this is probably late. I mean, Peter was sleeping right before this. So it's got to be late. And he's like, I don't want to disturb the neighbors. I don't want anybody to know that I'm out here because Herod might get word of it and come get me. So he's like, quiet down. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Here's what I want you to take from this. Don't be surprised when God shows up. I mean, isn't this kind of a, a funny thing? What, what are the people doing? What is the church doing before Peter comes? What are they doing? They're praying. Who do you think they're praying for? Peter. they got to be praying for Peter. I don't know if maybe they know the trial's coming tomorrow. Maybe they're afraid that this is it for him, and so they're praying earnestly, God, save Peter. Rhoda comes in. Hey, guess what, guys? Peter's outside. I think some of her excitement is what she had just been praying about. Peter's out there. And they're like, no, come on. Don't you find that funny as I do? I mean, they're literally praying for Peter. Peter shows up and they call her crazy because they don't believe that Peter's there. No, it's got to be an angel. Or are you just wanting it to be him? And, here, and, and, and meanwhile, they are just arguing back and forth. Peter continued knocking, it says. And they keep insisting this is, it can't be him. And it is. And Peter comes in, and I can imagine the cheering. I can imagine the screaming, which is why Peter's like, quiet. 
come on, guys, I just got out. I don't want to go back in. They were surprised when God shows up. Brothers and sisters, don't be surprised when you seek the Lord fervently that he shows up. Don't be surprised that God actually hears the prayers of his people. Do we serve a mighty God? A God who hears the prayers of his people? A God who is mighty to save? A God who is strong and able to do whatever he pleases? Do you believe this to be true? Here is what we must understand in all of this. He doesn't always respond the way we want to. He doesn't always deliver us out of our trials. After all, James, in the beginning of chapter 12, lost his life because of his faith in Christ. But remember this. Romans 8.28 says that God works everything for the good of those who love him. God works everything for your good. Are you a lover of Jesus? He can take the worst circumstances and use it for your good. And so when I say don't be surprised when God shows up, it may not be a deliverance out of your trial. But you know what? It may be peace in your heart. Have you ever had that? And pray, Lord, take this. And he doesn't. But he brings a friend along who gives you scripture that just breathes life into you. Or in your own time with the Lord, when you're desperate for him, he shows you just what you need in his word. You see, one reason why we're distracted in trials is because we think God's going to answer one way, and instead he, he wants to give us peace and actually help us through the trials. You know, we're studying James as a small group in ours. James 1, 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish his work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's so important for us to go through trials because we need to, we need to flex the muscle of long-suffering. And so the more we suffer and the more God brings us through, the stronger we get. Because we're going to have trials. But here's the thing, too. Is, are trials only for believers? Is suffering only for believers? No. It's pretty obvious, right? The effects of sin are everywhere. Trials come to all people. And so when they see us, Suffering, going through trials, and yet trusting in a faithful God and then sharing the testimony of how God makes us, do you not think people are going to pay attention to that? People are longing for peace. Why do you think there are drug addicts? Why do you think there are alcoholics? Why do you think there are prostitutes? Why do you think people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship? Because they don't know how to deal with their trials. They don't know how to deal with their pain. And so believers in Christ, why would you want trials to be taken away from you? When you can go through these trials, God meets you, and you can share how God is meeting you in that trial, even when he doesn't take it away. And my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for me is that we would not just pray away our trials. What's the first prayer most people pray when they're going through something hard? God, take it away. Now, Jesus prayed that, right? Let this cup pass for me, but then what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. I'm not here to say, God, bring on the trials. I want them. I don't think that's the right attitude. But like, to help us through trials, we have this, God, take it away. Nevertheless, I know that you're working everything for my good. Nevertheless, God, may you use this trial. May you use my suffering for your glory. And God, remind me that no matter what I go through here on this earth, I know that it's all coming to an end. Jesus is coming back to restore all things. 
He is coming back to give you what the locust has eaten, but it may not happen here. Some of you may be suffering through something for the rest of your life. God is faithful. Jesus lost his life for your sin, because of your sin, so that we could have hope in him. Don't be surprised when God shows up. It may not be like you want it, but sometimes the peace and the trials is meant far more to me than deliver me out of them. So let me finish up with giving you these action steps. First thing you could do is memorize James chapter 1. Let me read that for you real quick. Uh, Not all of James chapter 1. If you did, that would be great. But James chapter 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Hide that word in your heart. And then I encourage you, spend some time just going through the book of James Chapter 1, all of it, just so much about trials that are in the testing of our faith to understand we need trials. We should not wish them away because of what they do for us. And then I encourage you, get ready for trials. As I prayed to open up, there's three kinds of people. Those who are in a trial, those who just come out of a trial, or those who are about to enter in one. Are you prepared? Are you seeking the Lord when the, when the seas are calm? Are you spending time in his word? Are you seeking the Lord in prayer? Like these prepare us for battle. So when the battle comes, our knee-jerk reaction is to go to prayer, is to go to God's word. Why? Because that's what we've been doing all along anyway. Get ready for trials. And then here's another action step. Come join us tonight. If you're like me, our family, I know what's going to happen, especially if you have kids. Sundays, it's just like almost all Sunday afternoons, our disaster for our family. I shouldn't say all, but often it's just kind of a disaster. Like we're tired, we're fighting, and some of my kids had to hear their dads preaching all day, all morning. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We just need rest. We have school tomorrow. We just need rest. We just need to rest our family. We need to, uh, maybe that's the case for you. But like, don't let that be an excuse for you to come. And in fact, what we need to be doing is praying, God, help us. Help us in light of what we're going to face, that we're going to commit because we realize that The church is under fire. Now, I'm not saying that as if there's some crazy things happening to our church. Not that I know of. But I know Satan is at work against what's going on here. We're desperate for him. And so I encourage you, if you're able to make that, we'd love to have you back here at 5. So with that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you that even in the midst of trials, God, you are faithful, that you are with us. I pray for us as we go through them, undoubtedly so, unavoidable, God, that we would do so with great hope in you, that we would do so trusting that you will meet us in the fire. And you will. God, ultimately, you will deliver us from or through every trial we face, even if it's called the trial of life. You are going to make all things new, whether And it's not going to be until the other side of heaven. God, keep us heavenly focused. Keep us ready for the battle so that when trials come, we have already prepared ourselves for it. God, thank you for the victory that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.